Welcome to Establish the Edge. I am your host, Mike Leone, bringing you part two of the Projection Special Podcast Series here with Ben Gretsch. In part one, Ben and I outlined our overall macro approach to projections, and we also dug in deep on the AFC South. In the in this edition of the podcast, part two, we're going to take a look at the AFC North, go team by team. Do want to point out that you should be subscribed to the Establish the Edge podcast, rate, review us. It helps a lot. Also, make sure to check out Ben's other work at Rotoviz Radio. He's got the new podcast, Stealing Bananas, which is him and Sean Siegel. So two really sharp guys talking fantasy football. I haven't listened to the debut podcast yet, but I'm excited to dig in. You can also sign up for Ben's Substack at bengretch.substack.com. Ben, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You got all the the promo stuff right right off the bat, I, like right out of the gate. Well, you know, last time I did it, 90 minutes in after we went through the Houston Texans offense, and I figured <laughs> everyone had either shut off the podcast or fell asleep by that point. So I wanted to get it in early. This I time. did get a, a couple comments that were like, you got to get Leone to, to do that earlier. So the, at least a couple people made it and heard you say that you needed to do it earlier. That was pretty funny. Self-awareness, you know, yeah. and, and as, as we said on the last podcast, we got some nice feedback from people. I'm glad people are enjoying it. If there's anything in particular you want us to cover, do a little differently, uh, make sure to let us know. But we're going to start right away with the Cleveland Browns. I have a little bit of a spicy Baker Mayfield line. I'm looking at Ben's projection. I'm excited to see he's a little bit aggressive on Baker as well. And yeah, we'll start with the, the total plays, the team play calling here. I have Cleveland running more plays than Ben by about two a game. They ran a lot of plays last year. I might not be regressing that quite enough because I have them at 65.2. Ben's got them closer to league average at 63.1. I also have them slightly pass heavier because we basically have nearly the same amount of run plays at 28 a game but I've got 35 and a half passing attempts to Ben's 33 and a half passing attempts. So anything on the overall play calling for Cleveland, Ben? Um, I, yeah. I mean, I, I was interested to see your numbers when I looked at this, I, I didn't feel great about it um, because they, they have kind of been uh, multiple different teams over the last couple of years. Obviously 2019 was a disaster. Last year was much better but they were kind of slow coming on and got hot later. Um, so I don't really know necessarily what their offensive identity is going to be, especially with OBJ back. It's just kind of challenging to, to place like what they, what they'll be offensively. But I think we, we gave a pretty good range of, you know, I'm probably a little too low. Maybe you're a little too aggressive. Like you said on the play volume, maybe it's somewhere in between. Yeah, I think it's somewhere in between. And one of my takes with Cleveland is I think there's a chance that th- this is one of the teams that takes I don't want to say a big step forward in pass rate because you know they're built behind an awesome offensive line. Nick Chubb is one of the most efficient rushers in all of the NFL, and they've got a good dual back system with him and Kareem Hunt. But if you look at last season, towards the end of the year, Baker started playing well, and I think it was the last six weeks of the regular season they had a pass rate, a positive pass rate over expectation all six weeks after you know barely doing that the first 10 or 11 weeks. And I think in the playoffs – they were also positive. So it kind of ended eight straight weeks with a positive pass rate over expectation. That Pittsburgh game, they had to have been because they got out to a lead and they still, they were, they just attacked. 
they kept attacking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look at Baker Mayfield's, you know, history, like he number one overall pick, really, really strong QB prospect, awesome rookie year. And then as you mentioned, 2019 was a disaster. So like I kind of feel like if he's coming into his own and he's good, like you have reasons to want to pass more aggressively. It's also an analytically inclined organization. And we know passing in a vacuum is better than running. And they also played a couple of games last year in really bad weather. Now it's in Cleveland. They're going to have bad weather every year, but they had probably the three worst weather games of the entire NFL season. They were in all three of them. There was one versus Houston you know, they just ran the whole time. That's a know? great point. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't dig into the the weekly results enough to re- to recall that, but that was that was uh, it was back to back weeks at Houston game and and one the week after or maybe it was I've one against Philly, yeah, one against Houston. I think they had another one mixed in there too. Those like, were and to your point, yeah, you can expect some bad weather in Cleveland, but those were astronomically like the wind was out of control, like you couldn't throw. So yeah, yeah, that, I mean, I think those are good takes. Yeah, I think their pass rate, I mean, they had a sub 40% pass rate game. Two, two, back-to-back weeks, they had a sub 40%. It was, oh, the Raiders. The Raiders game was the other one. So, like, when I that context with how they ended the season, I could see more aggressive play calling. I might maybe be projecting that leap too much forward, but we talked about how we want to look at range of outcomes on teams. So, I think Baker uh, and, you know, his pass catchers, sneaky stack in best ball, Baker still, even if they throw more, is not going to have, you know, that high end upside in one quarterback, you know, managed redraft leagues where like I look at him as a guy, if I'm taking a chance on Trey Lance, I can get Baker for free at the end of drafts to get me through the start of the season until Lance or Fields or whoever starts. But he's not someone you really want to be leaning on all year long in one quarterback leagues. But we both have him. If you average our projections, we've got about 4,300 passing yards. I'm about 120 ahead of Ben due to the play calling stuff that we already mentioned. The efficiency is pretty similar. I just did a podcast with Levitan and Amico on season long props. And we, we generally take unders, but Baker was the one over, uh, over 3,800 passing yards that I liked. And oh, yeah, both, I like that too. We both, if he play, even if he misses a game, I think he's okay. If he plays all 17 games, he's going to get it. Um, yeah. Even at my more conservative pass volume, I have him a little bit more efficient than it looks like, but I have him well ahead of that. I have him at 4,213 passing yards. We're close on TDs too. So I think I have. You know, I, I have them being a little bit more run based and throwing, you know, play action type stuff. So I have them a little bit more efficient, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it just makes sense. Like you would be having them throwing more aggressively, which would would you know ding efficiency. But we both have that that working out pretty well in terms of yardage and TDs. Yeah, at the end of the day, we each have him like just under three hundred fantasy points. So. Let's jump to – should we jump to the pass catchers or the running back? I mean, we're talking the passing game, so I kind of want to jump to the pass catchers sure. first. So I wrote an article and I was earlier this offseason looking at some wide receiver bats at ADP I liked. One that I came away with was Odell Beckham, kind of reluctantly because he's not the type of bet that I like to make in general, you know, starting to age a little bit, coming off injury. But – the talent historically is there. And I was just trying to put myself in the mindset of you know, like those Keenan Allen stuff on Diggs guys from last year. Like who are the guys that maybe were like under projecting volume for 
that could see a lot of volume. And if they pass more, Odell Beckham commands a 25 plus percent target share. You know, he could get there. You've got him at 125 targets. I have 117 targets. Uh, overall, you've got in full PPR 218 points. I've got 197. So you're slightly more condensed on uh, Odell than I am, but pretty similar lines overall. Yeah, and he's the first one that I'm going to have a you know one of these targets per route run stats on. But 24.2 percent uh, last year in in you know injury shortened season, but pretty solid. 22.7 the year before. Both are pretty solid numbers. Mm-hmm. Previously uh, had been 25 percent or higher in uh, 20 you know 16, 17, 18. So he's he's dipped below the twenty five percent of routes that he's being targeted on, except uh, but but he's still you know well over twenty percent, which is pretty pretty darn strong. And so I was trying to kind of look at his numbers and figure out you know his yards per out run have been down the last couple of years. It's really just the yards per target element of that. It's just the efficiency he hasn't, and it kind of makes sense. You know he, when he was with the Giants, he was always taking slants for touchdowns and stuff. He hasn't had as many explosive plays so far in Cleveland. But can't that bounce back? I mean, I, I think the targets, yeah. he, he's still drawing targets and the efficiency can bounce back. So, um, yeah, I, I I did this projection for Cleveland and, and I remember that article you wrote about him. We talked a little bit about it. I started getting more interested in Odell after I did this projection. Yeah, sixth, seventh round ADP, you know, more, you know, in a more of a stable spot now with Stefanski, second year. They had a really successful season last year and – like I said, like ba- like Baker could end up being a really good passer still, you know, when, when it comes to it at the end of the day, entering his fourth season. Jarvis Landry is someone that I'm interested in your take in because he's always going to be, if you're doing ranks purely off projections, Jarvis Landry is going to be someone ranked ahead of ADP. Uh, I've tried to dial down like his upside case a little bit, but like, I don't even know if I'm just fudging that just because I'm worried I'm too high on Jarvis Landry. He seems like a pretty safe option. You know, he's not going to have a nuclear season, but I mean, he's going to catch. You have him for 75 catches. I have him for a nice 69 catches. I think like 70 for 900 and five, four to five touchdowns. That's a really solid line, you know, and, I guess it just comes into like how useful do you think that line is, but I'm still yeah. probably drafting him ahead of ADP, but like maybe not quite right up to exactly what his projection would say. Yeah. That's a, that's sort of how I am. I I'm willing to take him, but um, especially when you're doing like zero RB builds, modified zero RB builds, builds where you have a lot of receivers, you're, you're, you're kind of, you have enough redundancy at the position that you you want to really be seeking the upside. Now, if you're doing like a, a you know, some type of running back heavy build or, or different builds that I don't necessarily do a ton, like Landry, I think makes a lot more sense because you can kind of bank on it. He's another guy who's been over 22% targets per route run every single year in this last five years that I'm looking at in this database right now. It was 24.1% last year. Beckham was hurt, obviously, but he's always been a target earner. He's going to get targets. Uh, with both these guys being so consistently good at drawing targets, that's why I'm pretty concentrated on those two. I have a, a few more receptions for them than you, and it looks like uh, fewer for the secondary receivers than you. Um, but they, they ran a lot of two tight end sets last year too. Like I think you know, they do a lot of stuff where they only have two receivers on the field, and these two guys I think will probably get a lot of their targets. Yeah, it's going to be very concentrated on these two. 
Wide receiver three, we have it flipped a little bit, but this is going to be one of these things where we're just going to have to monitor news in the offseason. I've got Donovan Peoples-Jones as the third wide receiver, like just ahead of Rashard Higgins. You have a little bit of a wider gap with Higgins as the wide receiver three over DPJ. DPJ drawing some strong you know, camp reviews. If I was taking a gamble, I have taken a gamble on DPJ in like round 18 of best ball leagues, but overall probably not a ton here. Anything you're seeing at wide receiver three and four? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I struggled with this a little bit. The the Anthony Schwartz pick in the third round is interesting because he's a four two seven burner. He kind of overlaps with DPJ. Um, DPJ was really efficient last year. He was he like his catch rate for how deep his ADOT was was ridiculous. He didn't have a ton of targets, but like really smashed down the field. Um, I know they hit on some some definitely he was one of their play action guys. They hit on some play action plays, got him downfield, hit on some big plays. I think he could be really good. I, I question how, you know, how efficient he can be on larger volume. Obviously, neither of us is, is projecting anything near the efficiency he had last year, like a per target efficiency when we start to expand the volume a little bit. But um, and I also question whether if he starts to have some drops or struggle, whether Schwartz is that deep threat or, you know, whether that's just like a specific role. And so anyway, that's where I, I wound up on Higgins as sort of the, the main third receiver, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's also a question as, you know, if something happens to Landry and Odell, like does DPJ's role expand meaningfully? Like obviously he'd see more targets, but you know, he might go from like a 9% target share guy to like a 12% target share guy, you know, like he's going to play probably that deep role. He is interesting from an athleticism standpoint, you know, playerprofiler.com has him with 86th percentile speed score, 99th percentile burst score, 6-2-2-12. So he's exciting from that standpoint. Uh, Right post-draft, I actually had, I was a little hot on some of the rookies. So I actually had uh, Schwartz, ahead of him in ranks just because I wanted to bat on the rookie. But then I, you know, DPJ with some good camp stuff, I ended up putting him there, but overall not a ton here. You noted they play a lot of two tight end sets and we both have a really close line on Austin Hooper, who like, I do not understand his ADP with some of these really fringy, fragile tight end bats out there. Austin Hooper is going like TE 24. You know, yeah, and we're both down compared to like his pace last year. I because I, I thought I was too low. I'm actually really glad to see that we're sort of close. I they they threw to the tight end position a ton last year, like 27 plus percent, which is a lot. But Beckham was out, and so this year I, I had to tick down their tight end volume, like percentage of targets towards the tight ends down. Um, so that because the, the wide receiver percent was really low for you know any team, but um, I, I expect their, them to throw you know, throw more passes to wide receiver. Obviously that, that pulls from tight end. So for Hooper, Bryant and Njoku, I'm like lower than their numbers last year. And none of them played 16 games. And and this is a 17 game projection. So like multiple extra games and I'm still lower than where they were, if that makes sense. Um, but you, you like had to regress it. And, and, and Joku was actually the most efficient of the three. Bryant was good. Um, but Hooper certainly dominated uh, in terms of you know the, the share of targets and, and was clearly the number one throughout the season. I only have him for seventy five targets, fifty catches, and, and you're right there too. And it he still looks like a value, like you said. FFPC, which is tight end premium, his ADP in the Football Guys Championship right now is tight end twenty five. Like 
I, I've got him at tight end 20, and that's with the ADP baked in a little bit. So I'm actually drawing Is that just that. You think that's just concern about the other two tight ends? Because I, I feel like drafters are like, oh, he's not the clear tight end one. They use their other tight ends. But you have to think about the offense. They're running two tight end formations. They're both getting out in routes. Just think of them as two different skill position players. You know, he, I, I think Brian and Njoku are going to kind of rotate in that second tight end role. But Hooper's been, been out. He's a nice contract. He's going to be out there. Yeah, he's like you said, he's got a nice contract. And whenever I get a guy like this, whereas you know to Ben, we're conservative, we're regressing him. At a certain point, I'm just buying the projection. Like that's part of the reason why I like projections. Like sometimes we can go overboard, but sometimes we can also see like, okay, we're we're pretty conservative here and we're still well ahead of ADP. Like maybe at this point he's just a decent buy. And there's guys going ahead of him, like I don't know how sold I am on Troutman yet. You know, Zach Ertz is going ahead of him. That's crazy. Jared, like Jared Cook is in a better offense. So I kind of get it or not. I don't even know if I should say better offense, but maybe more tight end fantasy points there. But, you know, he's older and has competition. Gronkowski's tight end. Like, 22. Especially when you're talking know. about talking about tight end premium, Jared Cook's not going to catch more passes than Hooper. Like the thing about Hooper yeah. is his low eight odd. He's going to catch passes. The, the, uh, even with our conservative line, he's catching 50 balls. I don't think Cook's catching 50 balls this year. Is Cook even going to be able to stay healthy enough to catch 50 balls? Right. And so I'm right there with you. I'm trying to look it up right now, but I believe his catch rates have been like pretty absurd. It dropped last year. He had a 66% yeah. catch rate. So we're probably expecting that to bump up a little bit. The market maybe is looking too much just at last year. Obviously, he's not going to get the 80% catch rates that he had in a dome with Matt Ryan in Atlanta, but I would expect that catch rate to be, you know, maybe more like 70%. So, uh, yeah, but I don't- we are we are more like the 66 if you look at our numbers. I mean, like we, these genuinely are conservative projections. Yeah, and so so that's a good sign for Hooper yeah. where uh, a good tight end two in best ball and he's just fine at the very end of drafts. Uh, let's look at running back. This is Nick Chubb, man, always a thorn in my side, projecting Nick Chubb, season long, DFS, everything because – He's so reliant on efficiency to get there. And generally we just see that regress. Is he a bit of a unicorn in terms of great offensive line? Maybe he does have a special talent and I have him with a really high yards per carry, you know, and so, so do you. So I've got him with a higher share than Hunt. I had a really tough time figuring out the rush split between these two guys. I've got Chubb at 272 rush attempts, Hunt at 145. You've got Chubb quite a bit lower on rush attempts at 232. And then, or I'm sorry, Chubb, yeah, Chubb lower at 232 and then Hunt higher at 161. Uh, so at the end of the day, I have him with more half PPR points due to that additional volume. I've got him about 226 and you've got him at 206. Yeah, and I, I struggled with it too. Um, Hunt actually had more carries last year, but Chubb missed four games. So they, they were really close and Hunt, had had the big uptick in volume in the games that Chubb missed, but Hunt had plenty of work in games. Chubb was there too. I mean, they they had they had games where Hunt kind of just took over in the second half. They mm-hmm. had other games where Chubb stayed out there for the second half and got sort of the full workload. And Hunt was gone. It was a little bit of a hot hand at times. It felt like, uh, but especially going into the the postseason, it, it did feel like they were riding Chubb more. I. You know, I was really interested to see where you landed on this, and and seeing you being higher makes me want to widen this gap more. I mean, I have Chubb for seventy more carries, 
Um, but yeah, trying I, to figure out that that gap was was kind of tough. I just flip flopped like two percentage points yesterday or something on this one from Hunt to Chubb. Just maybe a little bit fearful that I'm too low on Chubb and wanted to capture that upside a bit more. But I have Chubb at 57% of the team's carries and Hunt at 30%. So I think like a two to one ratio is about right. Uh, I think, but what we saw at times last year is more like, you know, 55, 35 versus 60, 30. And then of course you got some additional carries just for backup running back and Baker. <coughs> the yeah. Interesting thing with Hunt, he caught 38 balls, I believe, two years ago. Uh, looking it up right now, he caught 37 balls two years ago in half a season with Cleveland. Catches 38 last year in a full season, including with some Chubb missed games. So that was a little bit of a disappointment where the thesis behind Chubb as like a fifth round, six, fifth, sixth round pick, especially as maybe a zero RB, like an early huh. zero RB guy. Or yeah, Hunt. Yeah. The case for Hunt, excuse me, is he's going to have standalone value and then going to go through the roof when Chubb is out. And we kind of saw that, but we didn't see it, at least in the passing game, to the extent that I thought we would. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of disappointing. And I didn't really know. I mean, they're again, the tight end targets were really high last year. The running back tar targets were very low. And, and the year before they were using Hunt, and, and they did a little last year, using him, splitting him out, throwing to him. They, they did throw to him a little bit last year, even like down in the red zone, um, like on split out plays. But they didn't, yeah, they didn't use him as a receiver the same way they did in that half season in 2019, like you said. So um, I wound up with a pretty conservative uh, re receiving line on it. We both did. We're right around 40 catches for him, which there's probably upside for him to get to close to 60, but. It's tough. I mean, the way that they're going to use probably all three tight ends. I don't know. Have you found that tight ends and running back? I, I, I think there's been probably some research on this, but tight end and running back target rates are going to kind of be somewhat inversely correlated where like if a team's using their tight ends a ton, they might not throw to their running backs a ton. It feels like there's a push and pull there, but I haven't done any actual research to back yeah. that up. I know Jack Miller does have Kareem Hunt as one of his, you know, acceptable RB draft picks in the dead zone. What he pointed out is that in games Chubb played last season, Hunt was RB 31 on a per game basis and half PPR weighted opportunity, which so RB 31 with Chubb in the game. And then when Chubb missed, he had 16.3 carries and three and a half targets per game you know, behind a great offensive line. That's going to have efficiency. That's going to give you the red zone touches, the high value touches down there. So you do still get that hybrid bet where you have the standalone value and an elite ceiling, but I do think it's slightly a worse bet than I thought it was going into last season, just because the targets both from a ceiling and medium perspective don't seem to be you know, quite as high as we hoped. Yep. Agreed. And, and down the stretch, Chubb, the year before Chubb wasn't as big of a red zone um, force, or he was struggling in the red zone. Uh, we expected some regression there, but last year he was very good at converting touchdowns. He kind of seemed to to become the the clear red zone option. And so touchdown-wise, too, I, I feel like you have to give Chubb an edge where before it might have felt like it could have been more split. And real quick on Chubb before I move on to the next team, how are you dealing with him? Because I don't draft a lot of him because the market's really high on him, and it's tough for me because he is a running back that has a little bit more – room to grow than some of these other backs because the foot could happen too, right? Hunt could get hurt and 
it's all chubb and that's exciting but at the same time for a guy that doesn't catch a ton of passes and splits carries to an extent i mean you really gotta feel good about the efficiency to be taking him i mean he's going at the one two turn i mean he's going very right. early so i wind up not taking him a lot so, yeah I, but i agree exactly what you said if, if hunt goes down there is you know there's an unknown on what his receiving could be um and that that could be very good with with how efficient of a runner he is he really doesn't need you know like 50 60 target uh, or 50 60 reception um like that type of pace to to be a stud like some some backs i mean that just supercharges a running backs line when you have that but a guy that's as efficient as he is as a runner really only needs to probably hit 30 40 catches but like last year what did he have like 12 i mean he, he didn't catch any balls I think he had 18 yeah. targets or 18, maybe he had 18 catches, but I thought it was 18 targets. There was a sick irony in that Nick Chubb buried us in the FFPC playoff contest, taking a screen pass to the house after <laughs> catching 16 balls oh, in 12 God. games. 16 uh, balls. Yeah. So it's tough to, it's tough to project him very well. And if I'm taking running backs that high, I, I need to know that there's a lot of risk baked into that pick. I need to know that the upside is there and it's a lot easier to get to that upside with reception potential you know it's a lot easier to build a a, a weekly floor and a, a massive stat line ceiling like we saw from um you know Kamara did it last year McCaffrey did it the year before go back and look at the guys who have hit 25 points per game uh in PPR scoring running backs the, the only ones that hit it are guys that actually receive uh, you know Derek Henry ran for 2,000 yards last year he didn't he didn't come close to that he was right around 21 points per game which is still great still great but it's not that elite ceiling. The 25 points per game seasons are the ones that are, are the really dominant ones at running back. Let's go over to Baltimore. They're always a trippy team to project, a bit of an enigma because they are so extreme in terms of their rush rate and you want to regress them, but they're also a bit of a known outlier. I mean, there's sometimes we think a team's an outlier and they're not, but with Baltimore, I think we can acknowledge with Lamar Jackson, the way they run this offense, they are going to be very run heavy. They probably throw a little bit more this year, but what does that look like exactly? And we've got them each around 63 plays run. I have them regressing a bit more in terms of their rush rate than you do. You've got them at 33.3 rushes per game. I've got them at 31.9. And that gap is basically the gap we have in pass attempts as well. I know you had some thoughts on projecting Baltimore's offense. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just bullshit to project. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I mean, pardon my language, but like I, I was thinking about this in terms of a, like imagine a Venn diagram. One circle is like the league averages or, or, or like the league median team. And the middle is like right in the middle. And as you start to get towards the edges of that circle, you're getting a little further out, but you're still comfortable projecting in there. The other one is the team you're trying to project. Sometimes they overlap a ton and you're like, man, I could go a little higher or a little lower on their pass volume, run volume. And I still feel like I'm, I'm comfortably being fair to like the team's trends and to the league trend. Like I'm regressing enough to the league trends and keeping it open to alternate scenarios. I'm not considering things like that. Then there's the teams that look like normal Venn diagrams where like you have to find some, some room in the middle where you are still being like, there's at least overlap is my point where you're still being, um, fair to the league trends and you're regressing the right way, but you're also being fair to those team trends. Um, you know, maybe a team has a little bit more of a, a strong pass rate historically, and you want to, you want to definitely project that Baltimore by comparison is this team that you have the league trends over here. It's one circle. 
And then Baltimore's trends are over here. It's another circle. And the gap between them is the size of a, a third circle. It's so wide. There's all this room in between where anywhere you choose to land, you both feel like you're not being reasonable in regressing enough towards league trends. And you're not being reasonable enough to Baltimore's past trends. Like you said that you went even further towards the past than I did. Where I went, I'm like five percentage points off their rush rate in the last couple of years. And I'm I feel like I'm in no man's land with, with how yeah. run heavy they've been, um, that I could be just way off again. And I was way off last year because I regressed them, you know, because the, their rush rate is so outlandish. At the same time, like I'm projecting them to run the ball five and a half times more time more, more times per game than pass the ball. No modern offense does that. There's nothing else close to that in the NFL. It is insane. It is like really hard to when we talked about it before, like I, I feel like their ceiling pass volume wise might be like basically close to where you have them project. That might be that actually might be their ceiling. Like if you regress them too much, you might be approaching a, a range where like they're not capable of throwing more than that. Mm-hmm. Um and and so it's sort of an unfair projection in that perspective. I don't know. I I with this whole Venn diagram thing, I tend to lean more towards the actual team uh, numbers, especially with Baltimore. You can even go back three years to when it was half Flacco, half uh, Lamar in, in 2018, and they still had a really heavy run lean. Um, these trends are pretty well established now to the point where, like, I think they've sort of set their own mean, and their range is, is very, very low. Their pass volume range is very low, in my opinion. My, my slight pushback, I do agree in general. My slight pushback is – they're at forty-eight percent pass rate last year. I have them at fifty-five percent this year, just under fifty-five percent. One, they've showed us some signs that they're going to throw a little bit more with how they've you know drafted the wide receiver position with taking Rashad Bateman in the first round. They took Tylen Wallace, who is a bit of an analytics darling, going into the draft later in the draft. They brought in Sammy Watkins in free agency, and I made this point last year and didn't really come to fruition, but their game script stuff was still pretty lopsided last year. I'm trying to find what their average margin is. Their average spread for each game of the season this year is like 4.2 points. You know, they, they, oh, they were dominating of, teams last year. You're saying, yeah, they're a lot. They had one loss. To by, the Chiefs. That's right. I was writing about this in signals last year. Their first like eight games were all decided by 14 points or more or something. I mean, that's not the exact stat, but it's something similar. Yeah. And the losses were close. Except for the the Chiefs loss. Except for the Chiefs loss. But then you beat Cleveland 38-6, Houston 33-16, Washington 31-17, Cincy 27-3. There's another 38-3 game in there. There's a 40-14 game in there. You know, a 34-17 game in there against Dallas and their backup quarterback. And then you've got some close games, but you don't... So it's tough because they are a very good team and this very well could happen again, but I bet on the game script, forcing them to throw a little bit more from the get-go. So for me, it's a combination of, I think the game script is likely to not be quite as positive as last year. And I think they want to throw more in general, but I perhaps have regressed it a little bit too much. One thing. Well, we I, I, those, on, are, though, those are good takes. I mean, th- this is like the hardest thing with the Baltimore pod. So we, we, we really should try to drill down on this. I think those are good takes. Number one, I totally agree with you that like the, um, the score lines in their games were like anomalous, right? Like we shouldn't expect them to have so many blowouts again. And that's going to dramatically affect things. And they were winning most of those games, like you said, and that's going to dramatically push them towards the run. Um, 
And number two, I totally agree with you that they've they've reinvested in in pass catchers and 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 all that. I the the concern is just like how much of this is just Lamar. Like Lamar is the identity of this offense, and, and it's Greg Roman to it to a lesser degree, but also Greg Roman. I mean, he was this way with Tyrod and Colin Kaepernick and other mobile quarterbacks when he was a coordinator before. But how much of it is Lamar? How much of it is that he's going to take off and run? Um, how much of it at times was them not necessarily having as much confidence in his accuracy? It seemed like they were more reliant on their run game for for big plays at times, which is like so inverse of every other team in the league. But if he's more accurate and he's throwing better, um, which he was two years ago, he, and he was still efficient last year, but just you know missed some throws certainly on you know if you if you were watching the games, but. Um, how much of it is just who he is as a player is, is kind of the question I can't answer, you know? Yeah. But I kind of think like we know who he is as a player and it definitely has something to do with him, but that could, we could still shift away from that a little bit. Do you want to note my 55% pass rate in that number I'm including that's called passes. So scrambles are in that. When I look at pure pass attempts per game, uh, I think I'm down to like 29.5, which the next closest team in my projection set is at 32, which is Houston. So it's two and a half pass attempts per game less than the second lowest team. So, And I'm uh, almost two full more pass attempts lower than you. And I added passing too. Like to be <laughs> clear, I added passing volume. I shifted one, them towards the pass. One thing we agreed on is – like we think the pace bounces back a little bit, uh, but we'll have to keep an eye on that. They only ran 60.9 plays per game. We've got them about 63, 63 and a half plays per game, which might not sound like a big deal, but you know, two and a half plays times 17 games, you know, you're talking almost an entire game or like three fourths of a game in total plays over the course of the season. So it does end up you know, being somewhat meaningful, the pace that they play at. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, with Lamar specifically, you've got him with a more aggressive line in terms of uh, b- b- his rushing, but that's stemming from the play calling. The other big discrepancy we have is in passing touchdowns. I've got him at 27 despite more passing attempts. You've got him at 33, and this is another spot where it's really tough to figure out. I think with me projecting more pass volume, I'm assuming that TD rate comes down a bit further. Uh, there's some push and pull where the TD rate in part is so high because of the situations that he's passing in. Yeah. When he's going to be passing more frequently, those aren't going to have the same odds as turned into a touchdowns as the past attempts he's had the last few seasons. So I think what you just said is like a really interesting thing. And I kind of want to dig into it more. I haven't really looked at it a, a ton, but um, just the fact that, I mean, first of all, he's had a really high pass TD rates the last two years. 6.9% last year, 87, uh, 8.7% the year before, which was crazy high. But even the 6.9% is crazy high. Uh, and I think I'm, I'm down below that. But part of the reason I think he has that is like it's it's obviously it's, you know, pass touchdowns per pass attempt, not per drop back, or at least not in my, in, in my projections. And uh, essentially, I, be, be, number one, because they're an efficient offense, also because they run a lot. Um, they, you know, I, I don't know necessarily that they, that they run between the twenties more or anything like that, but, um, 
it just seems like, you know, if, if they're able to run so efficiently and he's able to take off and scramble and, and make big plays and things that like more of his pass attempts are probably coming in plus territory almost. Um, th- yeah. There's probably an easy thing to look up, but like there's got to be an explanation for why, you know, the type of player that he is um, or maybe just because he scrambles whenever there's not something that's there. And so his when he does throw, there's a really high probability it's going to be a big play. Uh, but there's something that explains why his efficiency has been so They've good. They've also scored an F ton of points the last two years, you know, more than we'd probably expect to continue. You, you don't think they – I kind of think they will continue. I, they added firepower. I think they might be better this year than last year. This is like the Tennessee thing for me where I think like they might be better, but like the way it nets out, they're still unlikely to top their scoring average. Maybe I'm overly regressing. Their average team total for the season is 25.2. And I don't have their exact scoring average from last season, but it's been quite a bit higher the last two seasons. So uh, I have the, the total touchdowns I'm projecting for them at 54.9. That's a lot. Even in a 17-game season, I'm just going to – I'm probably a little that's like on 20, that's 23 right. points just on those TDs alone, you know, including the extra points, 22.6. And you just said their Vegas line is 20, 25.2. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm probably projecting too many TDs and the average team total. Like these are because a couple books out there have set lines for every game of the season. They're good books. So they're not trash lines, but I would not over rely on these numbers. It's kind of like a guiding point more than anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I shouldn't be at like 90, 90% of their scoring through the touchdown volume that I've projected. I'm probably over where I want to be there. So, but I, I, I think I would argue but that the, you're probably if low if on If you're missing games. though, if you're missing, I think I'm probably a little low. And yeah. also if you're missing like 25.2, like, like those lines are set at medians, right? Whereas when Baltimore is beating their team total, they're going to go oh, over fair. by a higher amount than they're going to go under when they miss yes. it. So there is you know, some issues with using the straight team total in that regard. Yeah, that's a great point. They're going to have 40-point games. They're probably not going to have a lot of six-point games to offset yeah. that. Absolutely. So Lamar, regardless, I think you know, Lamar for me is an excellent option in best ball in that 5-6 range because he's going just like Dak, Kyler, those guys, I don't know where you have them overall. I kind of have Allen, Kyler, Dak, and Lamar as maybe maybe Allen a little bit ahead of those guys, but a pretty big tier. And I don't, I'm not super picky as to the order of those yeah, guys. That's sort of where I'm at. Um, I haven't gotten, th- I don't have all my projections done as we're going through these, but um, QB is a position where I do, I am pretty interested in the projections because like so much of their line is going to depend on how optimistic I am about the team play volume, how optimistic I am about the receivers, because it all adds in and feeds in. Um, and so I'll be interested to see where he comes in. Uh, like you said, I have a pretty aggressive rushing line for him again, up over a, a thousand rushing yards again, but I mean, 17 games, it's so hard not to project him for a thousand rushing yards, basically. Like yeah. his rush rate is, is astronomically high. He's extremely efficient every time he runs. Like I'll be surprised if he doesn't do it, if he plays all 17 games. So you said projections for the Ravens are bullshit. I think we can really extend that to the wide receiver position where it's (laughs) extremely difficult to project. We have huge discrepancy in Rashad Bateman's line. I do want to qualify that, you know, in the projections I have feeding our ranks at ETR, 
60 percent. So, so generally I'm weighing a ceiling projection for guys like on average 30 percent their ceiling projection and 70 percent their base projection it's somewhat arbitrary quite frankly but it's it's a good mix that i found with bateman i've kind of got like 60 percent his ceiling projection and 40 percent his base projection just because it, it's impossible to know what the base projection should be and i do want to bet on talent our friend pat corain wrote a really good article at NBC Sports Edge highlighting how profitable rookie wide receivers have been. And part of the reason they've been profitable, Ben, is because they've had seasons that we just could not see coming. And I know Pat really likes Bateman because yeah, if Pat sees this projection, like he's gonna disown you. But if but my I think my rank is fair. I've got him around okay. wide receivers. This is your base projection that I'm looking at. This but, 30, yeah, yeah. I don't have 34 to... reception. So I've got him. On the ceiling projection at a like a 24% target share, basically like, okay. hey, he overtakes Marquise Brown. Oh, also I'm bumping up his efficiency because I might have his TD rate like a little bit low for a rookie and some of that stuff, which in might flow into why I'm a little bit low on Lamar Jackson's touchdowns uh, because all of his receivers have high TD rates because he has a high TD rate. So uh, right. same thing with Sammy Watkins. I might be low on his TD rate, even though he just played with Patrick Mahomes. The TD rate for Lamar is actually a little bit higher just because you know less pass attempts and same amount of scoring is essentially what, what's been going on with Baltimore relative to KC. So the base projection for me on Bateman is ugly. It's 34 catches, 443 yards, three touchdowns, 80 half PPR points. You're uh, not quite double that. You're at 87 targets, 57 catches, 710 yards, and six touchdowns. So, Which still isn't like anything necessarily to write home about, you know? It just shows there's a wide range of outcomes. Yes. And when we're drafting, especially at the point where we're drafting Bateman, in managed leagues in particular, we don't necessarily care about the case where he doesn't hit because he's cheap enough we can drop him. So the fact that his floor is mega low isn't a deterrent, right? Because we're we're making the bet on the ceiling outcome. We're and, making the bet that he's the, the clear number one. Like you said, the upside yeah. case. And and, and you, you said you're weighting that more in the actual rankings, which I think makes a ton of sense. Um, but it... It, there is a there is ceiling concern here. Like the last couple of years, Baltimore, I don't have the numbers specifically in front of me, but at their past volume, they've basically had Andrews and Brown right around like 85 to 100 targets. I don't think either of them, I think one of them hit 100 even one of those years. I don't think either of them has gone like certainly not well over 100. And then no one else even like over 50 or maybe there's one other guy over 50 and then no one else over 30. The, the point is there's not a lot of targets there. It's not how target distributions typically look. You see multiple guys over 100 or one guy well over 100 and multiple guys in the 80 to 100 target range. It's really weird to look at a team and see two guys in this 85 to 100 target range and then no one else even really close. Uh, and, and the issue I have with this when I look at it is like, now it's not just Brown and Andrews. I don't think Brown's going completely away. Now it's Bateman. Now they also added Sammy Watkins. They also dra drafted Tylen Wallace, who I like. Uh, there's a lot of pieces here and there's, I mean, they, they brought, they brought in, you know, we both have Josh Oliver doing nothing, but they brought him in. He was sort of interesting. Uh, one thing they lost, like Hayden Hurst ran a lot of routes two years ago. They lost the second sort of athletic tight end when they lost Hayden Hurst, maybe Oliver, maybe they, they do some more of these two athletic tight end sets that they were doing a couple years ago. It, the point is they have a lot of weapons and if it's at all unconcentrated with, with low volume, that's not great. That, that's that's really not going to be great. 
And it's tough because I do want to bet on Rashad Bateman's talent. I know Crane had him as one of his favorite wide receiver prospects coming into the draft. I think purely as a prospect, he had him number two behind Chase. I could be wrong, but I think he had him number two behind Chase and ahead of Waddle and Devonta Smith. I could be wrong, but uh, I know in his post-rookie rankings, he wanted to have uh, his post-NFL draft rookie rankings. He had Bateman, at least for a time, as wide receiver two, despite the worst landing spot, despite a little bit less draft capital. So that just goes to show you this is a smart organization that's drafting guys. And we think that there's a little bit of an edge in wide receiver evals still out there. uh, And Wallace was another really sharp later round pick. I mean, Tylen Wallace was a guy I was stoked about as a sort of a sleeper prospect in this class. And he looks kind of buried now. But man, both of those are guys that analytically you wanted to bet on based on their profile. The tough thing for me and in an earlier established edge podcast, when crane and I were, I think we were talking about DFS, but I was, I was saying how I want to be right once. I want to have to get, be right twice. And I feel like with Bateman, you have to be right twice. And what I mean by that is first he has to earn the target share, be the wide receiver one, beat out Marquise Brown. That's step one. But even with step one, he has to have step two, which is, they throw enough and Lamar is good enough that it props him up. So yep. it's, it, you, kind, you kind of need to hit a parlay, which is There's, tough. And that's why I have him wide receiver 60 uh, and not earlier. And I don't have a lot of shares so far. He's gone a lot lower on FFPC than underdog. So I got a share in like round 14, 15 on FFPC. Yeah. He's a guy that uh, I, I wanted to draft a lot more this year. Probably won't. The one, the one counter that if power here, he would make is that in that great article he wrote, he talked about how the rookie wide receivers who smash, smash on efficiency. They they typically don't run massive route shares, um, and and they do very well on the efficiency side. They don't get immediate massive opportunity in terms of routes per game. Um, that might be even more of a concern for Bateman if they rotate at all because they're just not running a lot of routes, these receivers. They don't drop back. I mean, they don't throw as much. So um, that – that, that profile at least does speak well to what Bateman could do here. And that is part of the problem with projecting this team is we're just talking about how efficient Lamar Jackson is. Players have been good in this offense. Pass catchers have been good in this offense, at least for stretches and, and certainly, um, you know, good enough to, to be fantasy relevant, especially Mark Andrews, who we're going to get to in a sec, but Marquise Brown. And it's because even at lower volume, which I was just describing, they're not even at a hundred targets necessarily they're efficient. And and so it's like, who's going to get the spike efficiency? It's a tough bet, but Bateman could be in a situation where if he can get to 90, 95 targets, uh, he can add spike efficiency because he's a very good player and be relevant. I just, there's no way he has a Justin Jefferson season or anything like that. So that's why it's so hard to take him. There's just no way that he breaks the season, you know? Yeah. And I really, I don't have much Marquise Brown. I've got him ranked around his ADP, but haven't drafted him because it's like Bateman's coming and you you need all those things to kind of go right for Marquise Brown still. Like he's the leader in the clubhouse, but you still need those things to go right. I really am well below ADP on Sammy just because he's got to beat Bateman and Marquise Brown. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, uh, and he's old. Like it, yeah. when Sammy was good years ago and it was fun years ago, he was a downfield threat. His a dot has been like 8.0 for a few years. This is not the same guy that used to be fun. This is a guy that runs curls against zone coverage. Now, like don't draft him. <laughs> Just don't draft him. Mark That's- Andrews. I think the projections for him are a little bit easier. You noted no more Hayden Hurst. It's a little clear depth chart at tight end. 
I know we were pumped about him last year because it was like, oh my God, a guy with his yards per route run, his targets per route run. Now he's going to run more routes, has to run more routes. And it didn't quite click last year, but he was sort of fine, even with it not clicking. You know, maybe we overdrafted him a little bit. I'm going back to the well here a little bit. I've got him tight end five ahead of Hawkinson, but behind Kyle Pitts. I like Andrews again. I'm not going nuts on him, but it's a similar bet to last year at, at, a, at a lower price tag. Yeah, so in 2019, he ran 295 routes. Back in his rookie year, 274, so just under 300 both years. And, and you know, I was on the exact same wavelength you were uh, that you just described, the, the, the routes ticking up and all of that. He only got up to 350. Like, that's a bump. It's a significant bump. It's a, you know, three plus routes per game over 2019. But I was hoping he would, you know, be up over 400 routes, maybe 450 routes. And we didn't see that. And then the other side, this was sort of a two-edged coin why he wasn't as great last year. In 2019, his targets per route run were, I believe, the highest of any player in the entire NFL. Uh, There was a few tight ends that were up over 30%. I think he was higher than than both Kittle and Higby, who both were up over 30% in 2019. Uh, he was at 32.9%, just a ridiculous rate of targets per route. So it was like, if he goes up in, in routes, um, they're designing, you know, routes where he's the first read. So frequently he's got this massive targets per route run. It dropped down to 25.1% this last year, which is like, that's, that's what regression looks like. That's still a really good targets per route run. But if he's only running 350 routes and he's only seeing 25% of, of, of targets per route, you know, that's where you wind up with him having the year he did in 2020, which was still good, just not necessarily great. The flip side is maybe his routes tick up again this year. You know, maybe his targets per route run has room to continue to rise back into the 28, 29% range. Maybe not, maybe it'll never be 33% again, like it was in 2019, but it's possible it bounces back, back up, you know. I think we could see last year's routes run, the last year's targets per route run, with the team throwing a little bit more and the connection just being a little bit better, AKA the efficiency. I mean, yeah. I, I swear I have flashbacks of Mark Andrews drop touchdowns oh. from last year and he caught seven, which is like not bad. Seven and 14 games. You know, that's not bad, um, but he definitely drops them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and his yards per target were, you He's know, down. almost a whole yard from down from 2019 way down from 2018, certainly lower than his career average going into last year. So there's there's room for his efficiency to be better for sure. Running back, J.K. Dobbins is an interesting conversation. I started the offseason as like this is one of the – this is the most overdrafted player in fantasy football. He was going middle around two to start the offseason. Uh, people have gotten a little bit smarter. I've seen his ADP drop. It's dropping to – to the end of round three now, which is, you know, it's a substantial difference, you know, middle of round two to end of round three, you know, feel, feels more than just a round and a quarter. I'm still below him on ADP, but he's starting to creep up into the point where maybe I take some stabs. The issue with Dobbins is it, it's a three headed monster in the backfield, Lamar, him and Gus Edwards. Like Gus is not going anywhere. Gus was third in the entire NFL in rush yards over expectation per attempt. Yes, J.K. Dobbins was, I think, first and, and amazing, but Gus was great. He's not going anywhere. There's and they no gave him reason. a new contract. Like they, they told yeah. us he's not going anywhere. They paid him, and J.K. Dobbins is not going to catch balls. We did this with Nick Chubb. 
he's not going to catch a lot of balls. So I have him at just under 900 yards. I'm possibly low on his efficiency. It's hard because again, with Baltimore, there's such an outlier that the running back efficiency does not necessarily line up with the NFL running back average rushing efficiency. So possibly I'm low there. Uh, we both have him about seven and a half touchdowns. I could see that growing, but it's still a tough bet early to take a running back who's not going to get a ton of carries and doesn't catch the ball. Yeah, I don't love it uh, for the reason I said when we talked about Chubb. I do like Edwards more at his price tag. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on Justice Hill because as I did this, I was like, man, he's really the only third back there. He was pretty good his rookie year. He kind of got squeezed out last year. Then they let Ingram go, and they didn't really replace him. Is that because they wanted to give Justice Hill a little bit more run this year? And specifically, if something happens to Dobbins and Edward or Edwards, do you think Hill would would I think they would still be a committee and Hill would play. I think he could actually be um, sort of a usable waiver wire pickup, really deep league stash, you know, because um, he was a pretty good prospect a couple of years ago. Yeah. I mean, Davis Maddock, when I was at sports grid with him, he was writing up justice Hill league winner articles every week. <laughs> yeah. He was all about it. I made Sam hop and draft justice Hill and Sam was on board. So I don't want to say made, but we, we took justice Hill in our FFPC football guys championship slow draft. And for the reasons you said, he's the clear third back right now. I mean, it's the same anti-fragile bet that you'd make anywhere. And I'm not doing it in best ball because it's an absolute zero. And I don't know if this ceiling's like massive if he gets in there, because like you said, it's going to be committee. But I think he's worth drafting in the managed leagues where you have the deeper bench. So like the high stakes leads. And so like a, a home league that's 16 rounds, I'm not drafting him. NFFC and FFPC, that's 20 rounds where I generally have a zero RB ish build. He's one of my guys that I'm taking stash at the back of a 20, 20 round build. And, and even though I like Gus Edwards more at his price tag, part of the reason why I like, I like Gus Edwards more than Dobbins at their price tags. I still don't love Gus, for that reason, like if Dobbins goes down, you know, Gus, I think goes from, let me see the, the percent of carries I have here. I have Gus at like 27% of carries. I think he goes up to like 35, you know, like maybe he gets up to 45, which would be really good. But you've got Lamar there with 30% of the team's carries. Yeah. You're going to have a second back who's at least 20%. You're down to you're kind of maxed out at 50%. You know, no matter what happens, you're not exceeding 50% of the team's carries here. Yeah. And and Gus is a very much a straight line runner. He's very good, but he's sort of like the power back. They use Dobbins more on the edges. They, you know, would kind of they threw to Gus more than I thought last year, not a ton, but they they seem to throw to Dobbins a lot more. Um I, I definitely think like if Dobbins goes down they're not going to have Edwards do those things on the edges. They're going to have Justice Hill do those things on the edges. Like he's going to be their space back. It's just, it's not Edwards' skill set. They, they, I don't think his role would grow that way at all. So we go from one difficult team to project in Baltimore to another team, in my opinion, that is low key, very difficult to project in the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've both dealt with their team play calling in different ways, trying to figure out what they're going to do. I've dropped their pace of plays quite a bit. I have them at 63 plays per game, right around league average. Ben, you have them at 64 and a half. I dropped their pass rate a decent bit, but not as much as you. I actually still have more pass plays despite that. And you have almost three more run plays per game. And they bring in Najee Harris. They were 
really inefficient at the end of last season. Ben struggled. So it's tough to tell what they're going to do. And you start to see the range of outcomes where it's like, well, if they don't run as heavy as we think they are with the drafting of Najee Harris and they have, you know, Ben's plays per game, that, that's going to be really good for the receivers. But the flip side is they drop their pace back a ton and they drop their pass rate as much as Ben expects. And we've got a boring ass team that behind a really shaky offensive line, a shaky quarterback. Like what if this whole thing just goes to shit? Like that's yeah, possible. It is. It is. Um, and, and I, I still have them more pass heavy than league average, but um, that's, that's not the, you know, the, the run pass split where you're, you're considering dropbacks. That's just rush attempts and, and pass attempts. And obviously Roethlisberger's not going to scramble a lot. So I'm probably right around, you know, league average run, run pass split, but um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm buying that they want to commit to the run. I, I gotta be honest. I don't like my Najee Harris projection. It's very strong <laughs> and it kind of pissed me off how strong it was, but um there's potential for him to get a ton of volume here. I mean, it, they they've been using him as the, their lead guy in their in you know, the early offseason drills and all those things that we've been hearing. They're committing. They took him in the first round. Um, you don't have to be efficient. I, I go back to Trent Richardson's rookie year. I had him. He was great. He he wasn't good. His efficiency was terrible. But he scored like nine touchdowns, and uh, Pat Shermer and the Browns gave him every touch imaginable. And I love young legs with running backs. I love guys that are coming in. They're 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 young. They're hungry, um, and they're like they don't they didn't use Jalen Samuels last year barely at all. They're going to throw to Harris. They're going to use him in passing. You know, on passing downs. I have concerns about the talent. I have concerns that he had such amazing blocking at Alabama. Um, there was some stat back in draft season. I can't recall off the top of my head, but it was like how how many, what percentage of his runs were well blocked or he was untouched uh, to a certain point or, or whatever. It was very, very high because of the Alabama line. And then the, the flip side, he also had a really low rate of 20-yard runs. And if you're getting yeah. great blocking on the first level, but you're not making guys miss and turning those into 20-yard runs, that's a problem. Like, that's that's a lack of explosiveness. Um, at the same time, a lot of film guys love him and – this is volume that you just don't necessarily argue with. The Steelers have done this with a lot of different backs in the past where they've been willing to use them on three downs. I'm probably going to have to get some of it. I struggle here. I probably have some biases where for the same reasons you just noted, I wasn't super high on Najee Harris, thought he was an overrated prospect. I'm worried again that the floor on this offense could be lower than people think and the efficiency could be so bad. But at the same time, you're right on the touches and I might – have been injected some of that bias into my projection where I'm, I'm just a little shaky on him where I, I don't know at the end of round two, I'm taking him, but I'm looking at the running backs. I mean, it's just tough. Like, am I taking him over Antonio Gibson? No, am I, you know, am I taking <laughs> I'm him not. Over, I don't think I'm taking him over Joe Mixon. You know, I, I don't, I don't think, think I could do that either. I don't know. I don't think I'm taking him over Nick Chubb either. Like I think I'm taking Chubb. And then at that point where you're not getting, you said you want to get some at that point, you you might not be getting some. Yeah. Uh, he's going as RB 10 right now. I have him RB 14. If he slips in the round late round, like if I'm, I'm doing a lot of best ball drafts, so I'll definitely draft him. If I'm like middle round two, like get some exposure, like you said, 
there is a potential for a huge season because the flip side is the offense is like actually decent and he's getting 90% of the touches and it's and like, holy look, shit. Benny Snell didn't game. look good last year. He's going to get the goal line work. He's going to get the catches. He's going to get everything. So if yeah. they're good, like you said, if the offense is good, he's going to be a top five back, dude. It's, if the it's offense such, is good. Yeah, it's such a wide range of outcomes, in, in my opinion, on a guy that we know the volume is going to be really good on. And the receivers are tough too. And I feel like I might be draft. Part of me thinks I'm drafting them too much. Some of them thinks I'm drafting the right amount, but well, before we move on to the receivers, like I, I don't have any interest in any other Pittsburgh back, even in redraft no. managed. Okay. We could just move on there. So Deontay Johnson, you know, the pro Deontay Johnson argument is in his healthy games, his targets per game would have led the entire NFL would have been better than Devonte Adams. If you only used his healthy game, some cherry picking there, of course, but it's gaudy. And over time earning targets, you know, that's the skill we care most about. Deontay Johnson seems like he's pressing that theorem, Ben, like he's like pushing that to the limit in his extremely short aid. He has this weird combination of extremely short a dot, but, but not a very good catch rate. And I, I know the argument that we shouldn't count drops against him. And I'm trying not to directly count drops against him because drops is a fluky stat, but just looking at his catch rate the well, last it, couple of years, it should be higher for his a dot. And it costs him playing time. I mean, I, I, we shouldn't count drops against him until the point where the team says we're benching you because you can't catch the football. That's a, that's a point where I'm going to start worrying about drops. His efficiency. Like when you also control for um, depth, like in my projections, I do, I do a dot uh, an a dot projection. And then I, I use racer as my efficiency metric. And I, I have a, a cross check that is, you know, sort of depth adjusted racer because, you know, rate the, that's the receiving error conversion ratio that Josh Hermsmeyer came up with, which is how many of the air yards are you converting into, into receiving yards? And it's different at different A dots. So anyway, uh, for Johnson at his different depths, he's been pretty inefficient in in this depth adjusted racer stat both years. Um, has to be. <laughs> yeah. He has like the catch rate of a normal A dot guy. Like say what you will about Juju Juju's low yards per catch, at least he's catching like 80. He's been more efficient. <laughs> yeah. Juju's been more efficient, but I the the concern is go back to targets per route run. Deontay Johnson, this is a uh, same stat sort of that you just gave, but 26.5% of, of routes last year he was targeted on. That's really really good. Again, over 25% is great. Um, I was just talking about even bigger numbers for guys like Mark Andrews, but those are not every route guys. Andrews was in the three, 300 route range. Johnson Johnson ran 524 routes and had that number. I mean, that's, that's how you wind up with as many targets as he did, but then his yards per target is 6.6. Like it, it, he's, he's not actually very efficient with the ball. So it's, he's a hard one to figure out, but you can't, even his rookie year, his target spot run was over 20, 20.4%. 20 the, the, Flip side is Juju. Juju was 18.2% as a rookie, jumped up to 23.5% in that big year two. So he's up over 20%. He's approaching 25%. looks like he's going to be a superstar. Then he fell back to 18.3% in year three. He was hurt. Ben was hurt. Who knows, you know, if that's really predictive. Last year, even at the low dot, he was running shallow routes. He only drew targets on 19.5% of his routes. Like, that's now three out of four years. He's been under 20% starting to look more like a you know a, number, a wide receiver two and not like a an elite target getter 
Whereas again, Deontay, 26.5% last year, this massive targets per route run rate. Uh, I was telling you earlier this offseason, we've been talking about Juju a lot, that I was a little more optimistic, I thought, on him. But doing these projections made me want to be more on Deontay, even at the higher price, than than Juju. Yeah, right now, I mean, this sounds like a cop-out, but I've got them like all basically right at ADP, and I'm kind of spreading my bets and not getting it. I'm not being way overweight or way underweight on any of them, just because I think this range of outcomes is so wide, both because it's it's hard to tell who's going to emerge from this wide receiver group and then the systemic offensive stuff we've talked about. With Claypool, he's a really interesting guy to talk about because if he can carve out, if he starts running as many routes as these guys, the ceiling's absolutely massive. You know, he had the rookie breakout Pat Crane's talking about where it's there on efficiency. And he did that in an offense that by and large was inefficient. And he was the outlier there in terms yep. of efficiency. But down the stretch, when you would have thought they would have expanded his role, they dialed it back. You know, they gave some nonsense about a rookie wall. James Washington is still there, is still been fine as a wide receiver for. So but in general, you want to bet on a guy like Claypool. So it's yeah, know, it's so tough. 20, 23.6% targets per outrun for him as a rookie. That's really, really good as a rookie. I mean, I was just saying even Deontay was just over 20%. Juju was a good rookie and had 18% targets per outrun. Claypool was up over 23% last year. I mean, if I, I, I did his projection and, and got really excited about him too. I mean, I already mm -hmm. was, but basically if the routes, if the rookie wall stuff doesn't happen in the sophomore year, if they don't cut his routes, if they let him run more routes, if they tick up, just kind of like the Mark Andrews argument from, from last year that we were just talking about, you know, he only ran 437 routes. If that gets up to five, 530, like Deontay or Juju ran 640 last year, if, if Claypool was up over 500 approaching 600 routes this year, and he's anywhere close to that targets per route run rate at the, at the depths that he sees targets and how efficient he was as a player, he's going to be their best receiver. I mean, he, like he can absolutely smash. That's all we need is him to run more routes. At tight end, I'm interested to see that you have more targets for Ebron than I have because I copped out on this a little bit where I just caved to the market because I was so far ahead of ADP on Eric Ebron. And I think maybe the market has overreacted to the – draft drafting of i'm going to just say call him pat phil helmuth throwback to the ship chasing <laughs> yeah, that's right but i don't even know his real name <laughs> pat fryer muth you've got him at 20 targets and ebron at 82 i've got fryer muth at like double those targets and ebron at 69 and i think i maybe went too far caving to the market but I kind of agree with you. Like rookie tight ends take some time. And we saw this with the Bears and Jimmy Graham and and Cole Komet last year. Komet eventually started playing more snaps towards the end. And I think Komet was a better prospect than Fryermuth. I could be wrong on that. Don't quote me. I'm not the prospect guy. But if your projection on Ebron is correct, he's underdrafted. We just talked about Austin Hooper being underdrafted. Last week we talked about Ferkser being somewhat underdrafted. So I think the lesson is once you get past a certain point at tight end, they kind of just wait. I don't know. You know, once you get past Irv Smith at tight end 13, unless you really feel good about the Pats guys, you, you can really kind of wait at this position. I think there's guys here that are, are pretty undervalued. You can get for basically free. 
Yeah, I agree. This is and another thing I wanted to I agree with all that you just said about the tight ends, but another thing I wanted to point out and thought was interesting. This is a little bit of a di- divergence in our, our target rates, but we were everything I said about Deontay, Juju, all those guys, we were really close in our projections of all three. Which I, yes. I which made me sort of happy on my process, but um it, it, I haven't looked exactly where I have all these guys, but I'll probably have them close to where their ADPs are as well. Um, even though I, I was just talking up Deontay and Claypool, they're going higher. And, and yep. so I'm probably very similar to you on that. We both have Deontay around 180 half PPR points, Juju around 160, and then Claypool around 165. I'm slightly higher on Juju and slightly lower on Claypool. But again, my upside case on Claypool is pretty high. I just have like just the slightest nag that they jerk Claypool's routes around again. Sure. And if it wasn't for that, I might have him number one of this group, quite frankly. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Okay, final team, Cincinnati. I'm very biased. I love Cincinnati, and I'm pretty pumped to see on the play calling standpoint of things, Ben, you're even more aggressive than me. You've got them at 65.2 plays. I got them at 64 and a half. You've got them at 37 and a half pass plays per game. I have them at 36.2. I wrote an entire article about Cincinnati as a stack, which looked at every single week of the 11 that Burrow started. They ran more plays than the league average. They didn't have a single week below league average. So even if you account for like the crazy plays run game and the overtime game with Cleveland, they were still super fast paced. Their pass rate over expectation was very positive. And, and you know what, Ben, their expectation was pretty high to begin with because they are negative game scripts, which is projected to happen again this year. Their team total is like, what, five or six wins in a 17-game season. So essentially, if Burrow is good and this offense clicks, we're going to see some nutty numbers, I think. Yeah, and, and if he's healthy. Uh, I, I do have to admit, though, uh, the reason I somehow wound up more aggressive than you is I was cheating off of you. I mean, I read that article <laughs> and you shared, you shared the great pass rate over expectation uh, data with me. And, and we talked to, and, and your notes on, on Cincinnati. And I was like, googly eyed about it. But yeah, I mean, I, like, I, I, I would fully expect them to, to approach things similarly this year. They don't have depth at running back. Like everyone's really excited about Mixon's potential workload, but the fact that Bernard's not there anymore uh, we don't really know who the number two is. Like th- this is they, they drafted Jamar Chase in the top five as well. I'm, I'm bearing the lead. Like this is a team built around passing. This is the team that has three elite receivers. They drafted a quarterback number one overall. Yes, he's coming off a major injury. That might mean that their play volume might have to be slow early in the year. But by October, by November especially, I think these guys are going to be right where you were saying, throwing well higher than league average, well higher than expectation. They're already going to be in negative scripts, but they're still going to be passing. Um, this looks just like such a fun fantasy offense. Yeah, I, I'm pretty stoked about this offense. And we'll do the running backs first because Mixon – I, I've been taking a decent amount of mix in. I, I couldn't believe when the offseason first started, he was going to round three and I was jumping all over that. Me and Pat Thorman were really on that early in the offseason. Now you got to start taking a mid to early two. And I'm not doing it as frequently, but I'm still okay with it. I, I just think, I think the ceiling's huge. If, if the, it's more of a bet on the offense for me. Like if the offense hits, Mixon's going to be out there. It's it's the same thing as the Najee Harris thing. I just have more confidence, oddly, that the Cincinnati offense hits, which maybe is wrong, but and they have a shaky O line as well. 
Uh, I talked to Brandon Thorne, who does the O-line rankings and is just an awesome uh, prognosticator with the offensive line stuff. And he said they go from a bottom three O-line last year to a bottom 10 this year. So better, but bad still on the O-line. But yeah, taking Bernard out, mixing staying on the field, you've got him for 77 targets. I was afraid to go quite that high. If it's 77 targets, man, I am stoked on Joe Mixon. I got it 65, so it's not like I'm way off, but you know, 77 looks great. Catching 60 balls is fantastic. There's absolutely – and I think, too, he's going to score a lot. I mean, I think the percentage of team touchdowns for Mixon is likely to be in line with some of the better fantasy backs. And that's one – if you go look at his – you know, even his healthier seasons last year, obviously he missed a lot of time. But if you go look at it, he hasn't had a – I don't think he's had a 10-touchdown season yet. The touchdowns have been a big part of this for for why he's sort of been disappointed at times. Um, yeah, the targets was a tough one. I, I this is another one like the Najee Harris one where I was like, I didn't really like my projection. But if I'm being honest, like if Geo's not there, and I mean they paid him, like they're going to use him. I I, don't, I just I don't. They, and they were early last year. His target rate was good until he got hurt. I. I I don't really see a scenario where, you know, Samaje Pirine or, or this rookie Chris Evans or, or whoever, Travion Williams, is taking over the Geo role. You know, it just seems very likely that Joe Mixon is staying on the field for passing downs now. And um, if he does, like, you know, he, he's going to get a lot of their – he's going to get a lot of targets and a lot of catches, right? Like – yeah, I, I want to go back and run it by week, but your note there about how he was getting targets early in the year when he was healthy, I think he was around 10% targets, you know, even with Geo there. Now, he didn't have a lot of the two-minute stuff and third down stuff, but if you're even using 10% target as a base, like that's fine. And then you're kind of free rolling. His average that. target market share in games played last year was actually 12%. Yeah, I, I barely have him there this year, you know, trying to be somewhat conservative, giving P. Ryan some of the, the workload. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm excited about Mixon, to, quite frankly. Uh, I, th- I think he's a pretty strong play. I could see him being one of the backs, like, like Najee Harris that goes top five next year. If the offense breaks right and Mixon stays healthy, he's going to put up borderline top five numbers, kind of just depending on the health of some of the other backs. Behind him, there's been some buzz around Chris Evans. I don't really know what to do with it. I don't know much about him. I have one Samaje P. Ryan share. I just took him today. Somebody somebody here has to be a pretty good handcuff, right? And I think it's P. Ryan. He was good late last year. I think what you're hoping with P. Ryan is as much as there's been this mix and bluster, he, he mixes in on some passing downs and maybe he gets you – like some usable weeks. And then if Mixon goes down, even if it's a split, P Ryan could have the goal, the high value touches, the goal line roll and, and the passing down stuff. And that's what we care right. about. And kind of be the lead. And that, I mean, like late last, and he, he averaged like six yards to Gary. I think it was last year. Like he was actually pretty efficient for them down the stretch last year. No. Okay. 4.8. I made up that number. Uh, not six, but, Still good, um, but not quite six. 4.8 is good though. Yeah. Uh, but no, like he had, whatever a long touchdown run i think at some point he was he was pretty good down the stretch yeah he had a 95 yard two touchdown rushing game four catches 41 yards uh in week 16 which was a really strong game um otherwise wasn't amazing so maybe it was just one big game but still 
think he's probably got to have have the inside track, right? Like, what was Chris Evans a fifth round pick? I mean, I, I don't feel like a rookie fifth round pick is going to come in and take that. Yeah, I would lean towards P. Ryan. Evans is more like your deep dynasty stash, I think, at this point, or right. like keep an eye on in camp. You know, this could change. Uh, we're we're recording this, you know, literally July first. So. Like compare it to uh, the Steelers we just talked about last year. Everyone wanted Anthony McFarland to be that guy. They brought him in as like a day three pick, but it was still Benny Snell. The guy who was there was was the backup, you know, and that's sort of what this feels like. The receivers here are super exciting. I've got Jamar Chase and T. Higgins for the exact same amount of targets at 129 each. You've got Higgins at 129 targets. And then you've got Chase a little bit behind that at 124. You've actually got him third in line, but like we're splitting hairs. You've got Boyd at 126. I've got Boyd third in line at 123. This is crazy because I I mean, I didn't see your projections before I did mine. We both have all three of them between 123 and 129 targets. Like, yeah, I thought it was weird that I bunched them that much and you bunched them similarly and in, in the exact same range of targets. <laughs> if we wanted to get weirder, I have Auden Tate for 29.3 targets. You know, have Auden Tate for 29 <laughs> targets. So, so it extends to the wide receiver four spot and I'm taking chase over Higgins. It looks like you've got a higher projection than Higgins. Curious if you're taking Higgins over chase, uh, if you had to pick between the two, uh, I'll throw it to you first. Why don't you you leave that off? Oh man, I don't want to pick between the two. I want them both. Um, I just took Higgins today. I, I I mean, obviously the the fact that he goes later makes him a little bit of an easier selection. Chase is way up there, but I, I I'm fine paying the extra half round or extra round when what we're talking about is basically just purely this guy could be generational upside. He could be the new OBJ or something like he is. He's a flawless prospect flaws from a production standpoint, outperformed Justin Jefferson, who we know to be pretty darn good, uh, athletically tested as, as well as he could possibly have tested, um, played with Joe Burrow. So there's, you know, all the reason in the world to think that, that he already has a connection with this quarterback and can, can maybe hit the ground running, which you're hoping for. And then was a top five pick, so there's all the more reason there that they're gonna they're gonna use him. They're gonna put him on the field. Uh, he's not gonna have to work his way into snaps like a lot of rookie receivers do. So if he's just immediately a superstar, I mean, but Higgins sort of was last year with Burrow too. Like I could say as many good things about Higgins is sort of the issue. Yeah, I, I what you just said is kind of my thought process and why I have Chase ahead if I had to pick the two. Like there, there's an outcome where we're taking Chase at the one two turn next year, you know, right. that and Higgins, as you said, he's a star. I don't know if he's quite superstar level yet. And I don't know if there's an outcome where we're taking him at the one two turn. Maybe, maybe I'm shorting him. I think there's a very good chance we're taking Higgins maybe early three or something. But yeah. I think Chase has he could be the wide receiver one in fantasy football if he's as good as we hope. And it's kind of the perfect landing spot in a lot of ways for him. The one thing we agree on, uh, both our projections and our rankings, we're not concerned about who's going to get the targets here. We like them all. Uh, I've got them all either at ADP or slightly ahead of ADP. I'm sort of drafting them a little bit even more aggressive than our rankings on ETR. And the case is, again, we already talked about how there's going to be a lot of pass attempts here from a quarterback that is a very good passer. 
probably going to be a very condensed offense. We saw Carolina last year have three top 24 wide receivers when their quarterback threw like 15 touchdowns. I mean, yeah, what condensed offenses can do for you is insane. And then the part people miss that you talk about a lot, Ben, I mean, if someone, someone can get hurt here and then the, then the target shares just explode for the other two guys. So, right. These guys are cheap compared to that scenario. Like, obviously we don't want any of them to get hurt, but like you think about having any of these players in the rounds, we take them where they were one of only two guys in this offense. Like if Jamar Chase didn't get drafted, T Higgins would be going in the third round. (laughs) You know, I, I mean, I think he'd be going significantly higher, maybe not the third round, but, um, it's just sort of target volume pushes people. And this is where, like I'd say, I hate projections. And and we're we're splitting hairs with our target projections here. Our projections for them aren't going to be amazing. That makes them look like they're not these great bets. But the reality is one of these guys gets hurt. The other two target projections immediately go up. We're already projecting great efficiency and and, and massive ceilings and, and any of those types of things. So it immediately just becomes a, a bonanza. And yet they're also fine at ADP. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's almost like the Kareem Hunt running back situation where like you get – standalone value you're fine drafting him there and then there's blow up potential yeah 100 percent. so we're a lockstep here in cincinnati we're both very high on them if it goes bad it's stuff that's harder to quantify but it's still relevant it's the bad offensive line it's joe burrow coming back from a serious injury sometimes tough to mix those in but ultimately a team that i want to bet on at tight end i haven't been taking any stabs here I've got CJ Uzama, who's coming back from a big injury himself, and Drew Sample split evenly because I don't know what to do here. You've got it more in favor of Uzama. You've got basically the same amount of targets between these two guys, just slanted to Uzama, which if it's the case, he's actually kind of like your dart throw round 18 best ball guy. I haven't drafted anyone here. He could be. I've had him rostered in like 30 man dynasty leagues that are like best ball tight end premium. And then I cut him in one of those formats just today for, for a waiver run. But um, I think he could be worth holding. I mean, he got some pretty decent targets right away from Burrow in that first game, or maybe it was first two games before he tore his Achilles samples more of a blocker. It's sort of the, the the thought process Mm -hmm. there. Uzama might have a little bit more juice, um, but that depends if he can come back healthy enough. But one thing I wanted – we didn't really talk Burrow. One thing I wanted to say, a note I made, A.J. Green's empty targets last year, like they hurt his efficiency. His efficiency wasn't necessarily great, but it was fine to Boyd and it was fine to Higgins and it was terrible to A.J. Green, right? He's replacing that with Jamar Chase. I mean, I I think that's like – a pretty massive thing. I think his passing efficiency is probably going to take a jump just from that. It should be expected to take a jump. The, I mean, remember how many empty air yards AJ Green had last year? And I wrote about this in my Bengals stack article. AJ Green was 101st out of 112 receivers in yards per route run. And you replace that with Jamar Chase, who, and I linked an article that Blair Andrews of Rotoviz wrote about in April, is you know, arguably the best wide receiver prospect since Amari Cooper in 2014, you know, right. the last seven years. So I 100% agree. Huge difference. The other thing that's good for Burrow and Pro Football Focus did some stuff on this, but Burrow, where he was good, was clean pocket and intermediate stuff, which is more stable year to year than where he was bad, which was deep throws, 
that tend to regress to the mean a little bit and under pressure stuff. Yeah. So it's the opposite of Justin Herbert to an extent. And we'll talk about that on the chargers podcast. So that's a good sign that he was probably between that and the AJ green stuff. He was, he was better than you think he was, you know, based just off his 6.7 yards per attempt and his overall PFF passing grade. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. And then I also want to throw a note on Tyler Boyd, just because we, we spent a lot of time on, on the other two, but initially when I did this, I had Boyd projected for the most targets and I kind of like toyed with it and I I didn't do that, but like he's 27, he's in his prime. He's always been a target getter. Um, Targets per out run percent of at least 21% three straight years. These two guys, Higgins was a 21 year old rookie. I I believe Chase is going to be a 21 year old rookie. They're 21, 22 young guys. Boyd's right in his prime and he earns targets. Like he's going to get his, don't forget about him. He's going to be good. Like I, I like him. At his price. That's going to do it for us on part two of our projections podcast special with Establish the Edge. Again, make sure you rate and review us. Make sure you check out Ben Substack, bengretch.substack.com. You can also check out his podcast with Sean Siegel on Rotoviz Radio, Stealing Bananas. And we will be back next week with part three. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. 